I'm Amy Hall. I'm here with Greg Kokel, and you're listening to Stand to Reasons, hashtag STRask podcast. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Amos. So the first question today comes from Deborah. I've been listening to podcasts on homosexuality. Question, if two legally married gays who have raised a daughter from birth, now a high school senior, chose to follow Christ, what would slash should they do about family? Divorce? Break up family? Hurt daughter with two dads? Well, it's just interesting how the language works here. I think this is a tough situation. But if you're not married, you can't get a divorce. Two men who are together through so-called legal marriage are not married. And so since they are not married, in God's eyes, because marriage is not between a man and a woman, um, that feature is simply a definition of culture, not a definition of reality. It's just like 60 genders. There aren't 60 genders. There are two genders matching two sexes. People who have who claim to have other genders doesn't make gender flexible. It makes imagination flexible. That's all. Um, it doesn't even make sense to say that I'm a ampersand gender, you know, an ampersand. <laughs> why, why would anybody choose an ampersand? I don't know. Just like any, the same reason they chose any of the other 60 or 58 genders that Google says people might have. I mean, it's just, it's an invention of language. So the same thing here, this is, the marriage is an invention of culture. As one put it after Obergefell in 2015, marriage now are just names on a sheet of paper. That's all it is. It has no substance to it uh, at all. It's just names on a sheet of paper. And, and there's no reason why those names can't be multiple names or whatever. So, um, so, but the practical concern is what does one do about this relationship? Okay. I think if, if there are two men who have been married by the state, so I'm qualifying my term, and uh, are living together sexually and raising a daughter, then what they, um, and they're Christians, then what they need to do is, first of all, repudiate their marriage if they're going to be consistent with Scripture, okay? They have to repudiate the marriage and um, disclaim it because that's not God's purpose. And then, um, I'm, I'm talking about minimally, okay? I, I don't know I can solve all of this, but that would be minimal. Um, if you're going to follow Jesus and see the world the way Jesus sees it and affirm the things that Jesus affirms, then they would have to repudiate their alleged marriage at a, as a non-marriage, and they would have to they would have to cease uh, being sexually and romantically involved, because I, I I don't think the point is, and this is what happened at Azusa Pacific University a few years ago, and this is not inside information. This is all public. How the homosexual contingent at the university. You know, just think of that. I graduated from Azusa Pacific College that later became a university in 1977. I did a year of graduate work there, 1978. And uh, yeah, this is a group that has a, con this is a school that has a contingent of gay people, an organized contingent of gay people. I, I 
okay, just think about that. And then the gay people were complaining because if because heterosexual folk were not allowed to have sex, but they still could have relationships, you know. And so, since the sex is wrong for the heterosexuals, premarital sex, then they would acknowledge that premarital sex for gays is wrong, too. But that doesn't mean they still can't have loving, intimate, or romantic relationships. So, as I recall, then the school ended up saying, yeah, you got a good point, that as long as you're not sexually active, then you are not violating God's purposes which means that the the powers that be at Azusa completely miss the point. It isn't just where you put your sexual organs. It's the, it's, it's the kinds of relationships that uh, God has ordained that entail or lead to what you do sexually. But it isn't just what you do sexually. So it just misses the whole point. So th- this is why I'm I, I, I'm saying that um, th- why this is very difficult. But to follow Jesus, I don't see any other way than repudiate the so-called marriage, the illicit union, and cease being romantically involved. Now, does that mean they can still live together? I'm not sure. Uh, that's that would be tough. Okay. It's it's like it's like um, a man and a woman who have a child who are not married and um, been living together, and then they become Christians. All right, can they continue living together and having sex and being, uh, you know, being uh, uh, intimate in that fashion with their child there because, but. They've just been living this way all the time, and they love each other. And there's, by the way, I don't, I don't take exception with the emotional attachment in either case. Well, the answer for the heterosexual, I think, would be for the for the clear thinking Christian. <laughs> considering that circumstance, it would be obvious. No, they can't keep cohabiting in that sexual way. Then the same thing would have to be true about a same sex couple. And since it's not just the cohabiting that's a problem, but it is the same-sex romantic relationship that normally would entail the sexual relationship as part of that, that's also a problem. So um, then the question becomes, what about the children? And that's where it becomes very difficult. It's kind of like in other cultures where you have um, a polygamous situation and then the husband becomes a Christian, now what? Now he's got multiple women that he is intimate with and he's taking care of and he's responsible for. And so, uh, actually, I don't know how those things have been worked out. Um, I don't encounter that here. Missionaries have had to deal with that. Um, it seems to me he would have to choose one wife as his genuine wife, but also stay committed to caring for those that are in his care because that's he. They depend upon him, but he can't continue to cohabit with them because that would be adulterous, all right? So something like that. 
in the case of uh, this situation, I'm not exactly sure how the best way to work that out. And maybe you have some ideas about that. Um, we, there has to be a consideration for the emotional well-being of the, ch- the child or children involved here. But it, it cannot trump the, the moral obligations sexually um, that they're facing. So, I mean, people seem to be fine with divorce in general. Oh, it's tragic, but the kids will take get over it, and you know, you you, you share whatever. So, people have adapted to a divorce um, by uh, and still co-parent. Um, then I don't know why the cessation of this relationship couldn't look the same. Yeah, it's tragic. <laughs> it's tragic because of sin. And in this case, the whole circumstance came about because of sin. And uh, anyway, so, I mean, that's, that's, I guess, my thinking. on Now, someone, I, I, I know the tendency of some is to say, that is so heartless. Um, well, I, I don't know what to respond to that. It isn't like I have no concern about the children. But if heartless means we are going to do what we can to make the children happy, even though we continue in sin, then that is not a gross sin, sin that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, that disqualifies someone from being in the kingdom of God. Then, uh, then, then I, uh, you call me heartless. But this is what happens is with sin in the world, especially gross sin, where people have chosen to live in it, it creates damaging, broken, hurtful circumstances. And that's that's the problem here, because once you start down the road where you are you've already left God's instructions for marriage and you start down this other road, at that point, no matter what happens, there's going to be pain. So trying to come back from that, there's there won't be any perfect option where everyone right. is perfectly happy because you've already the damage has already been done. You've you've created this relationship that was not allowed. So that's gonna hurt when you when you break up. I mean the same thing is true when when young Christians start dating someone who's not a Christian and then they get really uh, invested in the relationship, and then they have to break it off because mm-hmm. God wants us to marry those who are following Christ. Mm-hmm. And and you could say, well, that's heartless. But the problem is, again, once you've entered into that relationship, now the way out is going to be painful no matter right. what. But, you know, so you have this this relationship that can't create children, and then they somehow— um, a lot of times it's surrogacy or whatever it is they have. Um, now they've they've gone outside of the way you create children or adopted, normally. Adopted children. Yeah, if they're if they're adopted, that's better. But sometimes a lot of times they want to create their own, so they right. they bring in another woman into it. Well, now they've denied the child the mother, so the the child's already lost a mother, just starting right off the bat. Right. So. And why isn't that considered heartless? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's another issue, but So there's no there's no easy way out of that, but I I think what you suggested Greg as far as ending the the relationship, I I think yeah, I think that's necessary. It it will be painful, but that's because they started down that road. Mm-hmm. Um and I think as Christians, we need to support them in this. If when people who are living in some sort of 
homosexual relationship, they want to follow Christ. First of all, that they need to be encouraged and helped through that. Um, I, I I hope people will show them compassion. I don't know how often this happens. I don't know. Uh, I don't I haven't ever personally seen this happen where there was a family and then they became Christians. But mm-hmm. but we need to support them however we can. Mm-hmm. We all have to decide. We all have to place Jesus above everything else we know and love. We all have to do that, every one of us. And it's sometimes we have to give up things that have become really integral parts of our lives. You know, I think about uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, mm. where people were not willing. There, there's a man at the end where the there. I guess they're not angels. They're people who've gone ahead into heaven, and it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be accurate. Theologically yes. literal, right? But he wants to kill this man's sin, and the man's holding on to it, and he's too afraid to let it go. But then, when he finally does, then he's freed from that. And so, I think when you start to follow Jesus, and you have to give up these things, that have become so much a part of who, of who you are. You think they're so much a part of you who you are. They're very hard to give up. But if we will trust him and let him kill our sin and go forward in that painful, you know, it's not easy. It will be painful. But ultimately, you will, you're always better off being obedient than trying to hang on to things that God hasn't given you. Right. Always. Right. And that's hard to believe sometimes, but it's true. That makes me um, a couple of thoughts running through my mind. We just finished uh, last weekend um, the Reality Student Apologetics Conference in Seattle. And, of course, this year's theme is identity and how Christopher Yuan was talking about um, our our identity <clears throat> cannot be in our in our sexual appetites, basically. It may, it may be how we are, but it isn't what we are. What we are is the individual created in God's images, in, in God's image for God's purposes. And um, that really struck me. And um, in addition to that, as I'm thinking about this question, I'm also thinking about um, all of those people that are in 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 marriages that are painful and deeply unsatisfying for them. No biblical grounds for divorce. It's just marriages that have gone empty and, and tedious and, and are hurtful and painful and unsatisfying. And, and uh, so these are people that still have to stay before God and be honorable in their in their conduct and pursue virtue in that marriage, even though there's virtually no satisfaction there. So it isn't like this is the only thing that we're dumping upon gay people. Um, there are all kinds of people who don't have their emotional slash relational slash sexual needs fulfilled. And that doesn't change anything. Um it doesn't mean, okay, well, then we'll have to find some other way. And this is what, <clears throat> pardon me, Andy Stanley said recently, unfortunately, that some so-called gay Christians find celibate life to be, uh, how did he put it? Un- unsustainable. Unsustainable. An unsustainable ideal. And so, therefore, we make accommodations. Really? 
do we do that with all kinds of other things, too? So there are men in very unsatisfying relationships with their wives, and the bedroom door is basically closed to them. So their sexual life with their wife is not just unsustainable, it's non-existent. But the sexual desires and desire for closeness and intimacy and love and uh, sexual satisfaction are still there. Does that mean that they mean they can get the faux example or faux char- false characterization of that from pornography? Because, well, it's clearly the standard is unsustainable here, so we just kind of have to roll with it and do the best we can and get what we want where we can. I mean, this is silly. Um, and, and there's a whole host of counterexamples that could be brought to bear here. So um, nothing is being asked of, say, a same-sex couple that has gone through a, a union, according to the state, who becomes a Christian. Uh, nothing is being asked of them that is not being asked of every Christian in either similar or parallel kinds of circumstances where heavy prices, personal prices have to be paid to follow Jesus faithfully. I also think of the, of the very end of the Old Testament part of the Bible where the, 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 the exiles come back from Babylon and they start to rebuild. And then they intermarry with the people around them, mm-hmm. which was a very dangerous thing because um, you culture will—I mean, we see this happening now. Culture changes— when you are interacting with people who have different ideas and it's very it was very dangerous situation for for them to first they they were sent into exile because they had taken on some aspects of culture that were evil mm-hmm. from the people around them and so that's why God wanted didn't want them to intermarry with people who had these these other cultures that that were dangerous for them as a people and evil so what happens is they come back and they intermarry again. And the prophet requires them to divorce the wives who are following the other gods. And here's an example where obviously that was – it's horribly painful. You can see it in the text. And God hates divorce. So why did he do that? Because they – it was entered into – it was it was not – legitimate under God's law and it was dangerous for them as a nation that so that they would survive until the Jesus would come mm-hmm. as a nation right yeah and so even he even at that time they required them to break up and and these are heterosexual people so it's not just this is the point you were making right. this is it's not just a a singular thing that ever happened and it's it's different from everyone else this situation that we're talking about right now there have been other examples where things like this have happened sure and in fact this intermarrying <clears throat> and uh, forced separation uh by the prophet i think happened at other times too in the history of israel this wasn't the only case but this was one important example of that mm-hmm. so um it's it's um your reference to the influence of culture on us is really significant, and the culture is going to have more of an impact on us changing our views from God's view to their view the closer we get to the culture. And when we bring 
a foreign idea, foreign way of living in a foreign person in a certain sense into our intimate environment, into our home, into our marriage, um, that's going to have the biggest impact on us, which is why the Jews were told, don't do that. And we are too in uh, Second Corinthians. You know, uh, this is the famous unequally yoke passage, but just think of the, le- the metaphor. These are two um, oxen yoked together, and one is going to pull the other one off the path. And uh, that's Paul's concern there. And just to be clear, in case anyone is confused about this, this wasn't because of their ethnicity. This was, this was because of their following other gods, false gods that would that had evil laws that would cause them to do evil things. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, we're, we're not talking about, oh, be afraid of somebody who's has a different way that they dress or a different yeah, way. That, right, that's right. not the problem here. The problem is your view of reality, your your view of who God is, your view of what he wants from you. Um, all of these things matter when you're living your life and you're trying to raise children yeah. and you're all of the, these are the important things. It's not just um, ethnicity. Well, look at Rahab. She's a Canaanite folded into Israel. We have uh, Ruth the Moabitess mm-hmm. folded into Israel. We have we have the 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 Gentile centurion Cornelius, uh, right in in uh, Acts chapter ten, folded in. And so there is this is not an ethnic concern. It is a values mm-hmm. concern and it even is a truth concern. And even in the Old Testament law, you could become part of the covenant of Israel. You could join the nation. You could become part of them. The problem was when you wanted to be among them and not serve God and not follow God. That was the only problem. Mm -hmm. Well, Greg, I I know we're over, but I do want to throw one more in here because uh, I think it goes with this one. This one comes from Elise. How how to be compassionate as a Christian in today's topics? For example, homosexuality, abortion, people of different religions. Well, the difficulty here is what counts as compassion. And the culture has one definition, and God has another definition. The culture's definition is love, compassion, tolerance, acceptance, all of that means approving of what people want for themselves. That's the entire psychological community now. There is no sense of emotional health in the classic sense that there is a teleology to human psychology. There is a, there is a purpose for human, humankind to achieve a certain um, uh, uh, what's the word? I'm, now I'm looking for the right words. It's kind of a, a, an operational or a functional wholeness because the concept of wholeness is gone. There is no teleology. There is no ultimate end to human development. It isn't that being the best you can be means being whatever you want to be. Okay, and as long as the culture and those who have been influenced by culture, even Christians, understand compassion and love and acceptance and tolerance and all that other stuff, or grace, however you want to characterize it, as affirmation of what a person wants for themselves, what now is called authenticity— their authentic selves, then you're then you're you are not going to be able to be compassionate. You can be compassionate in the genuine sense of the virtue, and that is um, having 
uh, showing sympathy and kindness and goodness towards others and seeking their best. That's what it means to love others as we love ourselves. Lewis makes the point. We, when we love ourselves, that does not mean that we have good feelings about ourselves, that we have to learn how to really think how wonderful we are before we can start acting like other people are wonderful. Lewis says that's not the point. The point is that we seek after our own good, okay? Loving ourselves means putting ourselves first, okay, and seeking after our own well-being. Now, sometimes that goal is twisted and distorted by our understanding of what goodness entails, and the culture influences that. That's what I was just referring to. And this is why we always have to be in the Word to see what is the truth about goodness and what does virtue mm-hmm. look like from God's perspective. Um, but if we, are, if, if we are seeking our own well-being— that's the definition of self-love, not emotion, then to love others as we love ourselves is to seek their well-being as well, what is good for them. And to be compassionate is to be concerned about what is good for them, to treat them with grace and and courtesy and honor um, as human beings made the image of God, yet at the same time, not giving in and affirming behaviors that are destructive to them and destructive to their souls and dishonoring ultimately to God. It is possible to do that. Now, my sense, I could be mistaken about Elise here, my sense is that her question is being asked in light of that confusion. Because if we understand what compassion means in Scripture— and and what that it is morally informed, and we are not to be haughty or condescending, um, or think of ourselves better than other people, and and all of those kinds of things, all of that is in Scripture. Then there, I don't understand why there's any difficulty for Christians to do that, at least in principle, in any culture. The reason that the question I suspect is raised is because the understanding of compassion has changed radically because the culture has redefined it. And we have kind of absorbed that. And people say, well, you Christians are not compassionate. You Christians are homophobic. You're misogynistic. You're Islamophobic. You're haters. You're bigots. You're intolerant. Well, these are all things that we receive, we hear, and we begin to think that they're right and Jesus is wrong, or at least the way we understand them, because we want to be gracious and we want to be compassionate, but everybody's telling us we are not being compassionate. That's because they are celebrating sin and calling that celebration compassion. You know, Greg, you mentioned that true compassion and love is when we put someone else ahead of ourselves. And this is precisely why this is difficult, because if you're trying to protect yourself from other people being angry at you, it's very easy to give in. It's very easy to say, yes, what you're doing is fine, even if you know it's not fine. But that's not compassion because that's putting yourself above them. And that's not a, that's not accepting the pain that will result from... from um, Rejection. From rejection, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you can think about it that way, make sure that you're not doing something because it'll make things easier for you, because that's not compassion. Mm-hmm. 
It's interesting the way John characterizes Jesus in his opening chapter, talking about the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. And when you read through the life of Jesus and what he did and what he said, both things were f- f- were were front and center. Yes, he was gracious, but he did not compromise on the truth. And when uh, when push came to shove on the truth issue, he pushed back. Okay, and uh, people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. He who does not believe in the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Okay, that's John 3. That's like right at the beginning. That's right, the same chapter. That's the famous verse, John three sixteen. Right following it, then then Jesus gives these sober words, and at the end of the chapter, 336, he talks about the wrath of God falling on people. So he, he was gracious, but he did not compromise truth, mm-hmm. and he did not think that the two of them were in conflict. And I want to emphasize, kind of build on what you said earlier, Greg, about um, our character. And we need to build wisdom, and we do that by reading the Bible and by seeing who Jesus is, uh, what God has done, how he's interacted with people, because he's the ultimate example. Jesus is the ultimate example of compassion. If you want to know how we should respond to people, learn from Jesus. Mm -hmm. And as we're reading as we're doing everything, we're being shaped into the character of Jesus because that's what God's whole goal for us is, according to Romans 8. That's what he's doing. He's conforming us to the image of his son. Mm -hmm. So as you do that, you will gain wisdom about how to deal with these situations. And we're going to make mistakes because we're fallen people. But the more you're shaped into the character of Christ, the, the better decisions you will make when it comes to these questions. And uh, I, I recommend especially First Peter, which talks a lot about how Jesus responded when he was reviled, when, when, uh, when he suffered, and that's how we need to be. So First Peter is a great book to focus yeah. on in, in building up this kind of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And then if I could just give two quick practical suggestions, one of them is don't mock individual people. Just don't mock them. Mm-hmm. Treat them with dignity. And just make it a rule that even when you're among people who agree with you, you're not going to mock human beings. And I think that'll go a long way to how you see them and how you treat them. And then the final suggestion would be just the Colombo questions. If you want to be compassionate as you're engaging people on these topics, ask them questions. Find out who they are. Think of them as an individual human being who has their particular ideas. And you're trying to draw them out and find out who they are and what they think. And that's what the questions do. And so that's there to help you be compassionate in your conversations right. also. Well said. Well, I'm sorry I went over quite a bit, but I, I wanted to include that so that we talked a little bit about what compassion is mm-hmm. and, and why we're saying what we're saying. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Elise, and thank you, Deborah. And if you have a question, you can send it on Twitter with the hashtag STRask, or you can go through our website at str.org. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason. 